The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. I do just want to uh, reiterate that um, children are not only welcome to come tonight, but really encouraged to come. Um, we would love, you are going to have an opportunity to, to volunteer for different ministries as you hear and get excited about what God is doing through different ministries, what our vision is for the coming year. And um, you will have an opportunity to, to, uh, to, to volunteer. And I think it's so important that our children not just um, know that mom or dad left early to go volunteer. But I think it's important to bring our children with us when we volunteer. Um, and so as we come, you've seen it many times that children are handing out bulletins at the door and you might, oh, that's so cute. No, it's much more than cute. It's training them and discipling them that the church is about serving others. It's not about me. And so please don't say, well, my children are going to be bored tonight. I'm not. Look, I know it's We raised uh, three daughters. We've got grandchildren. I know it's, uh, it might be a little hard, but it's going to be very upbeat tonight. Uh, short little talks, uh, some, some videos, worship. Uh, so I think that they'll be able to engage, and, and I just encourage you. Plus, they're going to be hearing from Rebecca uh, and Tawanda, and I just think it's important that, uh, that they be here. They're integral parts of this church family. So, uh, so let's go now. Um, well, I tell you what, before we go, let me, uh, Matthew, if you would just put up that, my first slide, the quote. Our, this series that we're starting is, um, is about our DNA and who we are. But instead of going to our values and our vision first, we're, we're going to the essential doctrines of our denomination, which are really, uh, they're not just peculiar to our denomination. These are the essential doctrines of orthodoxy, the essential doctrines of, of being um, evangelical, if you will, um, uh, even reformed. Um, and, and so our denomination has listed seven essentials that are all dependent on this preamble or this forward that we're looking at this morning. Um, and I think it'll be clear as we go, you're like, hey, your vision is to be a new community radically loving God and neighbor. So what is doctrine? I mean, the inerrancy of scripture? Come on, that doesn't have anything to do with loving your neighbor. Um, well, just wait. But let me read what it says and then we'll dive in. It says, all scripture, this is what our EPC statement says, all scripture is self-attesting and being truth requires our unreserved submission in all areas of life. The infallible Word of God, the 66 books of the Old and New Testaments, is a complete and unified witness to God's redemptive acts culminating in the incarnation of the living Word, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible, uniquely and fully inspired by the Holy Spirit, is the supreme and final authorities on all matters on which it speaks. On this sure foundation, we affirm these essentials. Then it goes into the other doctrines uh, that we will take week by week. Uh, but this morning, we're looking at the scriptures, and that's what this text was about. So before we open up that text, let's pray that God would open our hearts, give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Lord God, we thank you that you have spoken. Oh God, you've spoken into the chaos and the world was created. <laughs> 
and you speak through your word and our hearts are transformed and your church is built. We come to you through your word and yet we remain and grow in you through your word. Your word is our our life and through it there's power to so transform us that we become loving men and women, loving you, loving neighbor with a divine love, with a unique love, a love that even loves enemy, a love that even prays for those who persecute us, a love that is not eye for eye and tooth for tooth, but goes a mile with one that slaps us or cheats us or steals from us. So God, I pray this morning that you would bring real clarity by your spirit. We know the devil does not want us to think in a unified manner about your scriptures. Because when he attacks that, he causes all kinds of disruption and confusion. And so this morning, I pray that you would, like a lightning bolt, give us clarity of what your word is. Oh, Father, would you help us to think new thoughts that are true and right and good because they're thoughts after you and from your word. Illumine your word by your spirit. There's no deficiency in your word, but there's plenty of deficiency in me, the communicator, and in us, those that will listen. Oh God, do heart work and mind work. Father, be glorified. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So Jesus, if you go at the beginning of uh, this chapter, Jesus is addressing religious leaders, the Jewish religious leaders. He's addressing these leaders who are studying Scripture. And he tells them that they're doing it all wrong. Now, some of you have started your Bible, you know, you've committed, and maybe you're still, you know, 13 days in, 12 or 13 days in. You, you've read your Bible every day, and you feel real good about yourself. And that's where these uh, religious leaders were. They were experts in the law, and Jesus said, hey, guess what? You've missed the point, and you've missed the purpose. And you say, really? That, you mean to tell me that... It's not good enough just to read it and check it off and be done. No. As a matter of fact, what Jesus tells them is that though they search the Scriptures, they don't know God. God is not in them. They don't have the life of God in them. And therefore, there is no love in them. Sound familiar? Many Christians, many conservative Christians, many Reformed Christians study the Bible And yet, instead of making them more pliable to God and the Spirit, instead of making them more loving, they're more critical and self-righteous, and you have no desire to be around them, nor do I. And that's who Jesus is talking to. I mean, look at this. uh, Look at verses uh, 37 through 42. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice, though, you've never heard. His form you've never seen. And you don't have his word abiding in you. For you don't believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures. They search. They don't just read. They're searching the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. But it's they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you might have life. I do not receive glory from people. In other words, I'm not looking for your glory. But hey, I know that you don't have the love of God within you. 
there is a way to read the Bible that makes you more self-righteous, more hateful, more dangerous, and more a son of hell than one who doesn't read the Bible. And yet, what Jesus is telling us in this passage, he is opening up this massive potential that there is a way to read the Bible that brings you into the life of God where his word is literally abiding in us to the point that we are loving in this radical way, loving God with heart, mind, soul, and strength, and loving neighbors ourselves, loving our enemies, praying for those who persecute us, as we looked at last week. The Word of God, the Scriptures. We are not coming to this, uh, this, this series on doctrine uh, um, so, that, so that we can have a Reformed community that knows how to dot their I's and cross their T's and defend the Bible. God doesn't need you to defend His Bible. God needs you to submit to His Bible and become a transformed human being that loves like He loves. I mean, do you understand that that's what the Bible, the Bible is not an end. It is a means. It, it takes you somewhere. It takes you into being a loving man or woman, boy or girl. It, it takes you away from yourself and all your focus on you and all my desires and all how, what needs to please me. And it takes you to the live for the glory of God and the good of your neighbor. It makes you kingdom-focused. It makes you gospel-empowered. All these things that we talk about, this is why we talk about them. The only way that we're going to become a loving community that's a radical loving community is if we agree on the Word, not if we throw the Word away. You see, this is, what, this is how Jesus starts in verse 30. I can do nothing on my own. What? The Son of God, the one who spoke the world into be, says, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. I can do nothing on my own. Why do you and I think we can you see, what, what we're being called to this morning is not get a reading plan and figure it out. And I hope we all do that. But what we're being called to this morning is read this book that we might submit our lives to it, that our heart and our soul might be so pliable that it forms us, it forms our mind, it forms our hearts, it forms our lives, that it might be a power that is good for God and neighbor and ultimately good for us. That's what we're after this morning. That's what Jesus was about. He was filled with God's Word. He goes to the desert. He's tempted by Satan. What, he's, what does he say? Man does not, for the Word of God says, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. In the most tense and stressful situations, he doesn't break down, but he breaks open the Word of God. On the cross, he's being crucified. What does he do? He quotes Psalm 22:1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He, he is full of Scripture. And that's what comes out. And friends, that's what we must be as well. And that's what the Scriptures give us hope to be. So let's look at it. 
I think as we do this work, as we walk through this text, we need to see that there is proof that God still speaks. We all have doubts. Richard Reeves has doubts. When he's sitting in his office, when he's studying for a sermon, when he is reading early in the morning, do you think that there's not a battle for skepticism or submission to the truth? When, 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 I'm having, when I'm coming to his work, believe me, I struggle with doubt. I struggle with skepticism. I struggle immensely. But the Bible tells us we're going to struggle. That is the heart of the fall. Paul tells us in Romans 1. And, and I, I hope you, if you're taking notes, just write down or type in your phone, hey, read Romans 1 this afternoon. Because it, is a, it tells us that God at, at the fall gives us over to a depraved mind that rejects the truth. So you, in your natural state, don't flow toward, oh, I just want to submit my will to the Bible. No. You, in your own, you say, I want the Bible to submit to my will. That's what these Jewish leaders were doing. They were going to the Word not to hear from God, but they were going to the Word to twist God to agree with them. And don't we see that in the church today? Isn't that how... We see churches making rapid and, 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 and sharp turns in different directions. You're know, like, what is going on? And most of the time, it's because they have stopped submitting to the Word and they've started to take the Word and, and submit it to them and make it say what they want it to say. The devil's crafty. And this is what Jesus is saying in verses 46 and 47. For if you believe Moses, you'd believe me. For he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? You see, it's not that God is not speaking. It's that you're not hearing. But notice Jesus doesn't say, well, I'm done with these guys. Forget them. No. He starts to argue for the truth of the Scripture. He gives three evidences of, um, that, of, of the truth of the scriptures. Uh, he says, first off, in verse 31, he says, um, if I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. What he's saying is, guys, don't just take my word for it. He is appealing to the, the law of the Old Testament and to basically the law of any and every court in the world throughout history. Nobody says, well, we got to take one testimony. Every court case, the way to prove guilt or innocence is not to believe one testimony, but it's to go outside of that one testimony and see if there's proof. And what Jesus is saying is, hey, don't believe me. Look at the proof. You don't have to believe me. I'll submit to, um, uh, you know, to the court system. I'll submit to the law. Don't just believe me. And then he gives three evidences of the validity that God is still speaking and that the testimony is still true. Number one, he points to uh, John the Baptist. He said, you sent John and he has borne witness to the truth. He was a burning and shining lamp and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. He points to human personal evidence. And friends, this is powerful evidence. I mean, have you ever met somebody whose life made you question, okay, maybe this Christian thing is real. Maybe it's true. Or you're around them and you're like, oh, it just makes me know that it's true. 
I saw this at work in our church in Fort Collins, uh, Colorado. We, um, our um, worship site, our sanctuary, was right across the street from an HIV um, AIDS, uh, it wasn't a clinic, but it was a, like a nonprofit that resourced um, men and women who had AIDS or HIV. And so we went, several of us went across the street one day, and we introduced ourselves and met the leaders of this clinic. And we asked them how we could serve them. And they said, well, uh, after they got over their shock, um, well, um, many of our clients um, are so weak and they're spending so much money on medicine that they can't maintain their homes. And, and so many of their homes are in really bad shape or their yards are in really bad shape. And we said, okay, well, give us the names of some. And, um, and so they gave us uh, this couple, two men that had been together for like 25 or 30 years. One had been a, retired as a professor of English at University of Colorado in Boulder. And um, we went, we met them, we looked at their home and indeed, um, it, it also because they were older, they were probably close to 70, maybe older than that. Um, not everybody ages uh, like Audrey down here, but uh, <laughs> is today your birthday? Was it last Sunday? Okay, 21st. All right, we're getting, oh, a February. All right, sorry, sidetrack. <laughs> we'll get you. We'll get you next month. Um, man, that woman has more energy than, I wish I had her energy, but where was I? Um, so, these two men, so we went and we, we looked at their home and their kitchen was horrible. Their, I don't even think their um, dishwasher worked and um, that, that, you know, there was water damage in there. Their yard was overgrown. And so we took a week off and we actually brought some of our supporters in from uh, a church in Mississippi and we renovated their entire kitchen and a bathroom and I don't know how many truckloads of limbs and grass and stuff that we hauled off. And at the end of the week, um, one of the men asked to meet with the pastor. And so I was nervous. I'm like, oh man, um, he's going to blast me. We sat down and he said, there were tears in his eyes. And he said, we... We've never been loved like this. He said, those other Christians out there, and his face had this like this, you know, those evangelical Christians, that's the word he used. I was thinking, oh, that's kind of what I am, but uh, <laughs> those people out there won't have anything to do with us. They condemn us. But you guys have loved us. You've literally come in and you've redone our house. And we feel valued. We feel respected. And it was in that moment I said, can I, can I tell you why? And he said, yes. I, I said, can I open my Bible and, and read something to you? And he said, sure. Now, folks, if I had just knocked on his door and just had, had my evangelical Christian badge on and said, hey, I want to tell you about Jesus, he would have shut the door so fast and probably never even opened it. But because the community of God's people were loving, we could say, we can, we can renovate your kitchen, we can clean your yard, but we can give you something so much better. And his name is Jesus. Do you see it? I mean, this is, 
the importance of not just having right thinking and having your doctrine in line, but having your heart in line with your doctrine. It is utterly, utterly essential. Look at, and I know every white Baptist preacher in the country is preaching using Dabo Sweeney as an illustration this morning. And I'm like, you know, some of you may not know, the coach of Clemson, all right, uh, gave an incredible uh, testimony of grace. I saw uh, something actually this morning where he was awarded the Bear Bryant coaching award for like three years in a row or three, it's his third one. And he brought up his coach the first African-American offensive coordinator at Alabama, his coach under Gene Stallings. And he said, you want to know why I'm here today? It's because of this man. Dude, that was, that was a bright and burning light. He's a Christian. He was say, talking about his faith in Jesus. Are you a bright and shining light for the truth and the validity of the scriptures? Or do you just know your doctrine so that you can know who's good and who's bad? You see it? And then, so there's human evidence, bright and shining, shining light. But then there's empirical evidence. Um, he, in verse 36, but the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. The testimony I have is greater than that of John. He goes to another proof. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I'm doing bear witness about me, that the Father has sent me. So just look at my life. I'm not hobnobbing with those in power. I'm not propping up the power structures of the day, but I'm going to the lowly. I'm going to the poor. I'm going to the marginalized. I'm lifting up the lowly, and I'm bringing down the prideful. Does that sound like something like from Isaiah or something? Do you see it? Look at my life, and then certainly we can look back at his life, and we can see that he was put into the cave dead, and he came out three days later. And in 1 Corinthians 15, there are 500 people that saw him. There's empirical evidence. There's real evidence that this happened. There were more people that wanted to disprove the reality of his resurrection. They did everything they could. They spread lies. But you've got 500 witnesses who are saying, I hear you, man. I want to not believe it. But I, I saw him. I saw him. That's how this faith exploded. Empirical evidence. And then there's scriptural evidence, and that's where we're going to spend the rest of our time. God speaking through his word. And you say, well, we, I mean, you can't use scripture to, to prove that scripture's true. Well, yeah, you can. Because... If you don't use, if there's not some outside source, if there's not some revelation from God that is true, that everything is fair game and it all really depends upon you being the authority and you being God. But there's no way you can disprove that God has not spoken. I mean, the reality is that because it was written over several hundred years, because it was written um, by several different people, who, you know, Jesus is not denying that men wrote this. He points to Moses. But what he's saying is that as men wrote this, it's coming from God. And so, secondly, God speaking in his word is superior. It's not the only evidence. 
Remember, we've got human, personal evidence. We've got empirical evidence. But God speaking in his word is the real evidence. Because Romans 1 also tells us that even though they know the truth, they deny it and suppress it with their unrighteousness. Friends, every person knows that this is true. And that's why people fight against it so hard. That's what the Bible says. Say, well, circular reasoning. Well, it is, it's circular, but so is yours. <laughs> we circle back to God, you circle back to yourself. But let's go to, let's look at it. God speaking in his word is superior to all other ways of speaking. When I first came to Jesus, I, were y'all like this? I remember as a teenager lying in bed saying, God, would you just speak to me so I'll know this is true? Let me hear your voice. Just speak to me. Please speak to me so I'll know this is true. And God didn't speak to me. And yet today I'm still preaching. Why? Because what Jesus is saying and what the scriptures say is that this word is superior to God speaking. Uh, here's the deal. God could speak to me and, and I could wake up the next morning or I could, you know, come out of the trance or whatever and, and say, oh man, that must have been that fried chicken or something. Or that may, you know, must have been that second glass of wine or, you know, I could even be doubting myself. But to have a book that was written over hundreds of years that has a common theme that all culminates in Jesus and every book and every chapter and every verse can drive me to this one Messiah and this one Savior because it's all about Him. That is God speaking. Verses 37 through 38. The Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you've never heard. His form you've never seen. And you don't have His word abiding in you. He's saying, look, you guys don't hear it. But guess what? It's because you don't believe the one whom he sent. It, just because God isn't speaking to you through his word doesn't mean that he's not speaking. If you haven't heard his voice, it's because you're going to it wrong. You're not going to it to hear. You're going to it to judge. And you can't sit upon judgment of the word of God. Peter fleshes this out in 2 Peter 1. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased at his baptism, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. The transfiguration, that's what he's referring to. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. You see that? He's saying, we were on the mountain and we heard his voice, but what we have right here, we have his word, and it is more fully confirmed than that voice. He goes on, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp, the, the written word, the prophetic word, as to a lamp shining in a dark place. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Peter is saying what you have in the law and the prophets is the very scriptures. It is God speaking to you and you can count on it. 
And then you hear Paul in Galatians uh, chapter 1, he said, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one that we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so I now say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Did you hear that? What he said was this. If in our assembly this morning an angel materializes and stands right there and starts teaching that we are to take our Bibles and we are to say, we're watching because this has more authority than you. If Paul materialized here this morning, what Paul is saying, this has more authority than him. He's saying this is a word that you can trust. You can bet your life on it. You can bet your eternity on it. This is divine. It is divine, not human. He doesn't say it wasn't written by him as we said. He's already pointed to Moses. But he's saying it came from God and it must be submitted to. Or you will not have life and you will not know love. And then thirdly and finally... How can we read it so as to get life? There's a way to read the scriptures and miss the voice, but there's a way to hear it. There's a way to read the scriptures and hear it. So, here's, it really is how most of us operate. We get that Bible plan, we start reading, and we feel better. We feel better. Two in the New Testament, one in the Old, or two in the Old, one in the New, and a psalm, throw a psalm in, check it off. Man, I feel good. But why are you feeling good? Is it because you have submitted to the Word of God, and you've let it form you, and you've let His life come into your life, and you've made the connection between it and the Son of God, and how you need Jesus for that day, and how you have Jesus for that day? No. Your conscience feels better because you did something. That's why you're not hooking into the power of God. You've got to go a little deeper. It's not just information. It is meant for transformation. It's not there just to make you feel good about you because you've read it. It is there to expose you. Uh, we read it, all Scripture, uh, 2 Timothy 3, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for observation. No. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. You see, what Jesus, when he was on the cross, he was ready. When he was in the wilderness, he was ready for the good work of not giving in to Satan. He was ready because he was oozing the truth of God's word. And so when he was pressed, the word came out and not flesh. And he was doing it for you, and he was doing it for me. Do you see it? The temptation in the garden is him representing you for all the times that you fell to the temptation of Satan. It's for you to say, oh, that is about him. I raise him up. I put myself down. Isn't he glorious? I boast, and I boast alone in Jesus, not in my Bible reading plan success or my success in my Bible reading plan. Do you see it? That's what Paul is getting at. Jesus makes this indictment on the Jewish leaders. You don't have his word. Notice he doesn't say, you don't have his word. You, you don't know how to parse Hebrew word. You don't, you don't know. You, don't, you can't recite the Ten Commandments by memory. You, you don't know the history of Israel. No, he doesn't say that. 
He says, you don't have his word abiding in you. The word of God is to be something that is in us. Listen to Hebrews 4. It has a power to transform us from the inside out. The word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. What the Bible is saying is, you don't go to the Bible to read it. You go to the Bible to let it read you. You let it expose your heart. Oh, I've got to get up today and not be like David. No! I'm going to be like David. I am like David. Because Jesus tells me that even if, you know, you've heard it said to the people long ago, do not commit adultery, but if you have lusted in your heart for another woman, you've committed adultery. Can you go a day? Can you go two hours? Can you go 30 minutes, men? You haven't done it this morning in this room. We're guilty. We're wretched. We're hopeless. But Jesus, he never looked at a woman for his own purposes. He never looked at her to have his way with her. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that hopeful? But if you go to the Word and you say, oh, I've got to be like this, you're going to die. It's going to kill you. Literally, it's going to be a curse in your life and in, in everybody's lives around you. You see, the Bible reads us. I love Hebrews 13, 5 through 6. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said... I will never leave nor forsake you. Deuteronomy, he's quoting Deuteronomy 31.6. So we can confidently say, and he quotes Psalm 118.6, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? Is there anybody in here that doesn't struggle with feeling insecure about your money, your finances, your, your being cared for and provided for? Is there anybody that's not worried about the economy right now as we launch a battle against China, a trade war? I mean, is there anybody not going, oh man, am I going to have money to retire? Am I going to have money tomorrow? Am I going to have my job? And God knows that because every man and every woman and every age has struggled with the same thing and yet the Word of God comes in and it says, I know what you need to hear. You need to hear the truth that I, your lover, the Lord Jesus, will never leave nor forsake you. Have you been forsaken by a man? Have you been forsaken by a woman? You have a God that will never leave you. You have a God that will never forsake you. Does that speak to your soul? Does that give you comfort? Do you see how you need to come under that and say, oh, tell me again, tell me again, tell me again, tell me again. Do you see it? I mean, every scripture, you know, oh, I don't know what, you know, I don't know if I'm going to have a job next week. I don't feel safe. I live in one of the most violent cities in the, in the, the country. Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear Though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. That'd be scary. <laughs> though, though, um, though the mountains be uh, moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, 
I will not fear because my God reigns over the mountains. Oh, tell me again, God, as I lie in bed at night and I worry about the most ridiculous, stupid things. Tell me again, oh God, that you're my refuge when I feel like the responsibilities of this church are on my back. Tell me again, God. Tell me again. Tell me again. It speaks to your soul. Do you see it? Because it knows you. Every book is about Jesus. We'll end with this. So, and I did ask permission from Rachel to give you this uh, illustration. Because I've learned some things. Amen, anybody. Hallelujah. Husbands, I've learned some things. So last week I preached on Matthew, um, where Matthew's words, recording Jesus' words. um, You've heard it said, do not, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. Well, something happened with, to Rachel this week, and I'll get to that in a minute. But she told me that when she heard that, she was sitting through that whole sermon, um, just kind of thinking, well, I don't have any enemies. I, you know, feeling pretty good about herself. I mean, I, I don't have anybody that really hates me, or I'm not in a fight with anybody. And, you know, said, I mean, you know, I've got some people that are some, you know, she's got me. So, uh, you know, we've got a little <laughs> contention at times, and... Well, it didn't take long. Um, a couple days later, uh, there's nobody in this church, but she has an art business. Um, she paints and sells art. And anyway, somebody who was associated in that, with that world, I mean, like, caught her off guard, reamed her out. I would say verbally assaulted her, accused her of all these kind of things. And, but what you need to know is that Rachel, over the last year and a half, maybe two years, I don't know, has been going to counseling because she's an Enneagram too, if that means anything to you. Um, and not, we all need, one through nine needs counseling. I'm, I'm there too. But, uh, but she knows that, you know, that because of that, how God has wired her, that also because of the fall, that she has a hard time speaking up for herself. And, you know, she is hearing how she has the worth of any other human being. She's made in the image of God, just like her neighbor, and therefore she doesn't need to be a doormat. She can stand up and speak. Uh, She can speak truth and love. Uh, It's not giving freedom to be a jerk, but just you don't have to be run over. You can. And so she did, um, I think, really well. Um, She did better than I would have. I think I I wanted to get in the car and go hit the guy. So... um, so maybe I need to listen to last week's sermon. Um, but she said, you know, she called me, and obviously there were tears. It was hurtful. Uh, she held it together then, but got after her, and she talked to a lot of friends and probably all her daughters and uh, processed it. But she said that night uh, she barely slept. And she just kept replaying, and she would think of new things, and she would kind of, you know, I'm sure she would, because I do this, you know, think of kind of a look on their face, or, you know, she's replaying it. But then she remembered Sunday morning. You've heard it said, love your neighbor but hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. She said, all right. And she started to pray. And she also remembered that I said, it's impossible to pray for the one. You know, it's so, it, it's a battle. 
to pray for one who, who's your enemy. And yet she started doing that and doing that and doing that and doing that. And she's probably still doing that. Why? What happened? The word was not just some intellectual thing that was preached on last Sunday and, oh, that was nice and cute. But the word was living and alive in her. And it wouldn't let her get away with replaying that story. It wouldn't let her get away innocent. As God began to show her that she was a sinner, as God began to show her how maybe she's talked to other people, as God began to show her, do you see what happens? It diffuses the hate as, it, as you build yourself up in pride and you're pressing your enemy down. All of a sudden, what's happening is this. As the Word of God comes in, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is no one righteous, no, not even one. And yet... All are justified freely by His grace. Jesus is your righteousness. Jesus is your performance. You're never going to do it right. He loves you. He's dancing over you with joy right now. So can't you go and maybe not dance over that guy, but can't you go and realize he must have a lot of baggage. There must be a lot of pain in his life. There must be a lot of hurt. Audrey, can I tell the story you told me last week about being on the plane and who was sitting next to you? You good with that? You better be. <laughs> I preached that sermon last week. I had, I had a mom come forward and tell me that her ninth grade daughter came to her and was, not to Audrey, but to this woman and, you know, came to her and she was struggling with her identity, her sexual identity. And that, that sermon really showed her how she'd not been very loving to her daughter. And Audrey came up to me. And she, her son lives in D.C. I can't wait to meet him. Um, takes care of her um, in huge ways. Loves, loves his mama. But on the way back, Audrey sat by a white supremacist. Now, my first thought was, how do you know? I mean, well, he told her. And he's a bus driver for white supremacy rallies. And their bus broke down, thank God. And uh... <laughs> But as I sat there, I thought, that poor man, he was sitting by the wrong woman that day. <laughs> He killed, she killed him with love so much that by the end of it, I mean, she was offering him gum. She, <laughs> and just like what happened with the man that, the couple that, that we loved on, he was dis distancing himself. Now, I don't hate you. I mean, you're different. You see, why? If she had said, get your white whatever out of that seat and go... It would have just proven, but because he, she loved him, because she just assaulted him with love, what could he do? Do you see, that's, how the pur that's the purpose of the word. Go to it. Let it judge you as a sinner, and let it judge you as a saved daughter, son of God, so that you can love. So, dear friends... May we get a Bible plan. <laughs> Seriously, may we get a Bible plan 
but that we might know Jesus, that he might read us all throughout the day, he might convict of sin, convince of his grace, and lead us forward. So that when we are in those situations, which we are every second of every day, we have power. The power of the word abiding in us that produces love. Dear friends, may we be that kind of scripture-believing body. Amen.